You've been listening to a sermon audio resource from the ministries at First Baptist Church in Cedarvale, Kansas. We pray that this encourages you and challenges you on your walk this week with Christ. To find out more about what's going on at First Baptist Church in Cedarvale, you can go to our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. Thank you and God bless. How's everybody doing? We're good? Well, we're still in Colossians. Colossians chapter 2 is where we'll be. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Colossians 2. The freedom that you and I have in Christ is outstanding and refreshing. Um, In fact, I know I said go to Colossians chapter 2, but I want to show you guys this in Galatians chapter 5. It's just such an incredible text that he says... So Christ, Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, So Christ has truly set us free. Now, make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery of the law. Verse 2 says, Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I I say it again, if you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation of the whole law of Moses. Or if you're trying to take or trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ and you have fallen away from God's grace. Like, I want us to see this, that that God's given us freedom in Christ and, and We live in a world that has multiple religions, and each of these religions have strict, strenuous rules and regulations on their followers that they must adhere to in order for their God to grant them favor. And if they don't follow those rules and regulations, then all of a sudden their God becomes angry with them. And I found a couple just for for reference points. These are fun. Um, Traditional Judaism... Um, there's, a, there's a ritual that's called the Jewish Karpat. It is a traditional Jewish religion, and it's a ritual that um, it, it usually happens around the High Holy Days. And classically what happens is it's performed by grasping a live chicken by the shoulder blades and then moving it around your head three times, symbolizing the transferring of one sin to the chicken. <laughs> and the chicken then is slaughtered and donated to the poor. I just like this is what happens when we place our hope and our trust in anything other than Christ and Christ alone. That's the reason in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, like Paul tells us, he goes, Don't let anyone capture, capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking. For from the spiritual powers of the world rather than, the, rather than Christ. Like we have so many people that put so much stock in religious activity and religious um, regiments and rituals. And, and it's just, it's heartbreaking to me. Like I know we, we look at it and sometimes we see it and we're like, oh that's crazy and that's silly. And it, it breaks my heart. I just, I found a couple more. Um, Mormonism. Like, that's a fun one. This thing is just, like, it, it, like, I have multiple Mormon friends that I've had 
legitimate conversations with them about their belief systems and how they don't match the text, how they don't match the Bible. Um, they believe that you're eventually going to become a god. Where Isaiah chapter 43 explicitly tells us, before God there was no God, and therefore after God there is none. Like there's no other God other than Christ. And, and one of their belief systems is holy undergarments. I thought this was a joke until my friend Brian actually told me that this was a thing. They have holy undergarments. In order to please their God, they must keep certain undergarments on their body. Um, you can hear testimonials of ex-Mormons who lived in literal fear. I, I watched a, a testimonial of a lady who lived in absolute fear that she would be caught without those on. So if, in order, when she, I was like, how in the world do you take a shower? Like you literally keep one part of the garment around your ankle while you're showering. And when you get redressed, you take that old garment and you put the new one on the other foot so it's technically still there. Because if I don't have the holy gar undergarment on, then God's not going to be happy with me. Like, really? Another one I thought found interesting was baptism for the dead. In this practice, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, and a living person acts as a proxy and is baptized. There's a baptismal ritual and it's followed called the living proxy we call out the living proxy by that dead person's name. And that person, it, they then perform the baptism. They say, having commissioned you by Jesus Christ, I baptize you on behalf of the dead person's name. And in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then that gives them forgiveness of sins. And they're, they're allowed to enter into the kingdom of God. Like we talked about last week when we had our baptism last week. I, I told you, according to the text, there's nothing in the water that saves you. Like there's absolutely nothing in the water that makes you righteous before God. It is Jesus Christ. You're saved by grace through faith alone. And, and some of us, we look at this and say, man, those are silly. Those are crazy. But, but Christians do a lot of the same things. We say that we trust in God's grace, but we have certain things that we are doing in order to appease God. So yeah, I'm saved by grace, but man, if I don't say my prayers right, then God's not going to be pleased with me. If I don't make it to Sunday school in time, God's not going to be pleased with me. If I don't do this, then I'm not going to be, God's not going to be pleased with me. Let's pick on the Baptist for a minute since we are some. So I, I found this growing up hilarious. The Baptists weren't allowed to dance. Like, and my, my parents were not super strict, but they were semi-strict. Um, now, we had some really good friends that were super strict. There was no dancing. You don't play cards. Um, you don't even go watch movies. Like, that, that was, I mean, if you do those things, God's not going to be pleased with you. If you dance, God's going to be angry with you. If you go watch a movie, God's going to be angry with you. If you play cards, God's going to be mad at you. I, I just, those are, those are things that I was told as a kid growing up, these are what good Baptists don't do. And I was like, where's that in the Bible? Is that in the Bible? Like, luckily, my parents weren't super strict on things like that. But, but if you go back in the 50s and 60s, that kind of stuff, like, there was a deification. There was a deification of morals. And it, look where it's gotten us. Like, if I look good, I, wanna, I, I want people in church to think I'm good. 
I want people, like if people in church think I'm messed up, then man, I, I just, I don't, I don't know if I can handle this. Like I need you to all understand something. Every one of us in the room is messed up. All of us have fallen short. All of us have, have fallen short of the glory of God. Like all of us have messed up. And, and there's several Christian denominations that teach that we're, we're saved by grace, but we're kept by our works. Like there, there's certain things that, yes, you're saved by God's grace, but man, if I go out and I slam my finger in the door and I say a cuss word and I die on the way home, I'm going to hell. Like that's a legit thing that there's Christian denominations that teach that kind of stuff. Like it's just, it, it, it's perplexing to me that, that we have this. That we have to do something to, in order to keep our good standing with God. That we have to do something. And throughout the Bible, it tells us constantly that we don't have to do anything in order for us to keep or maintain our salvation. The salvation that was, where you were saved by grace, God's grace is big enough and strong enough to maintain, to maintain your salvation. That's why Paul tells us in Colossians 2. So this is where we're going to, we're just going to start in Colossians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or in regards to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on Asceticism. Now, you say, what in the world is asceticism, Caleb? That's a weird word. word. Extreme self-denial. So if you want to write above asceticism, some people may have that in your translation. It's just extreme self-denial. Or the worship of angels. It continues there. Or the worship of angels. Going on in detail about a vision. Puffed up without reason by his, his sinister mind. Like, that, that just... That's crazy to me. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through the joints and the ligaments growing as a growth. I'm sorry, grows with a, as a growth from God. In verse 20, if Christ, if, you're, if you've been raised with Christ, if you died with Christ and you've raised with him, he has set you free from the spiritual powers or elemental powers of the world. So why do you keep following the rules of the world? Such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as they're used. Like we put so much onus on certain Physical things that we have to like. Oh, we've got to not do this. Don't touch this. Don't eat this. Don't go here. Don't go. Don't don't see this. And we put so much onus on the thing rather than the God of the universe, rather than Christ. It says, why do you why do you focus so much on mere human teachings that are deteriorating in their use? These rules may seem wise, and some people may, may give a, a great argument why you shouldn't do these things. But then the text says these rules seem like they're wise, but because they require strong devotion and pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but really, they don't provide any help in conquering the power of sinful desires. They, they, they do nothing for taking care or stopping the indulgences of the flesh. So guys, I, I want us to see this because this is so incredibly important as we, like, God's grace is enough. G- what Jesus did on the cross is enough. We don't have to have 
Jesus plus something else. I don't need Jesus plus my good works. I don't need Jesus plus this rule. I don't need Christ plus something else in order to make God happy with me. Jesus and Jesus alone is more than enough. And and I see men and women who say that they've been set free by the power of Christ, but still they're shackled up by their traditions. They're shackled up by their own personal sins. They're shackled up by so many different things. And they're like, there's this moralistic deism. I talked about that earlier. And we've even, we saw that a couple weeks ago in that film that we watched where there's this, we put these morals on a deified level and we won't say it with our mouths but we'll say it with our lives that these certain things need to be elevated to the point of deity and we're, we're concerned about our morals when in reality those things shackle us up they don't set us free christ set us free and, and what is insane to me is people will use the bible on the proof text proof texting is so dangerous like proof texting is so dangerous where we take one verse and throw it completely out of context and try to build an entire theology around it. That is dangerous. And when people are shackled up in their sins and their traditions like this, they tend to believe doctrines and theologies that mirror their errors. And, and so Paul tells us throughout the text, this is the second time in the text that we've seen where he said elemental powers or spiritual powers of the world. That, that, that are, he mentions those in the text. This is why it's vital, this is why it's vital that we need to be on guard to what is around us. Be on guard to see what's happening around us. That, that the enemy wants to try to trick you, not just with hellish evil stuff, but he wants to trick you with stuff that looks like the real deal. Like, rat poison, if you look at rat poison on the packaging, you can read the pack. There's only just a, there's a little bit of poison. The rest of it that's in there is good food. Like it's normal, like they, they compact and they add like good nutritious food, but they add just enough poison to kill the rat. Like that's exactly what the enemy does is he packages this poison with stuff that looks really good, looks really enticing. It looks and sounds right. Because if you look at every other religion outside of biblical Christianity, you've got to do something in order for God to be happy with you. Uh, you got to do something. And there are certain religions, you don't even know if you're got, good with God until after you die. You may not even be good. And then when you die, you've done all these good, great things. But at the end of the thing, at the end of it, when you stand before your God, you may not even be able to get in. Like that to me is just depressing. Because the scripture offers us and shows us over and over again where Christ wants to liberate us. He wants to set us free from the the powers of the world. He wants to set us free from the powers of silly religion. He wants to to set us free and having a relationship, a genuine, true, real relationship with Him. This is why it's vitally important that morning after morning, you and I are told in the Scriptures to put on the full armor of God. Like, we need to put on the armor of God so that we we can engage in what's happening. We need to be fully ready for what's coming at us. The enemy does not give up. The enemy is constantly pursuing. He's constantly pushing. He's constantly running after us. And we don't, we're not, he's relentless in his pursuit of us. And so we have to be on guard. In fact, just go over a book. Actually, a couple books. Ephesians chapter 6. 
just a couple of pages over to Ephesians chapter 6. I, I want you guys to see this in the text. Ephesians chapter 6 gives a breakdown of the armor of God. Finally, verse, chapter 6, verse 10. Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, I want you guys to see this. this the, the first part of this text, he doesn't say, be strong in your own might and stand and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You got this. Like there are certain churches today that that's, the, that's their message. You got this. You're awesome. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. America. That's, I mean, we got people that are doing that. No, biblical Christianity says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his might and in his strength, put on the whole armor of God. Like you have to, Jesus is the one who gives you the strength. It's Jesus that puts this in you. It's Christ. You stand in his power and him alone. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood and against rulers and against authorities and against cause we wrestle against i'm sorry we wrestle against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places so we're waging war with not just physical like it's not a physical battle that we're fighting it is a spiritual battle. I've said this since I got here in October. Shoot, for the last, even before that when I was coming up here, I've always told you guys there is a battle going on for our hearts and our minds and our spirits. Like there is a battle that's taking place and we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against principalities. We're wrestling against authorities that are cosmic in nature. So what's he say in verse 13? Therefore, because you're wrestling against these things, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand it in the evil day and having all to done to stand stand firm therefore having fastened on the belt of truth now like truth matters like genuine truth matters and notice it's a belt why do we wear a belt what happens when some people don't wear belts you ever <laughs> Anybody in the room, you, you forgot your belt and you're, you're like, you doing that number? I've done that. I've forgotten my belt and I'm like, oh, stink. Absolute truth holds everything together. Absolute truth holds all the other pieces in, in place. We've got to have absolute truth. Where do we find absolute truth? Right in the Bible. The scriptures give us the ultimate truth. The ultimate authority is handed to us by God's word. And here's the thing. I'm going to just tell you, if you say, well, Caleb, you all got the Baptist truth and the Baptist doctrine, and my friend's got the Methodist truth, and now my other friend's got the Wesleyan, I'm going to just tell you, if you've got Baptist doctrine, if you've got Wesleyan doctrine, Methodist doctrine, Catholic doctrine, I don't care what it is, you need to throw those doctrines out the window and replace it with Bible. If, you, if you've got anything, well, Caleb, you got the Baptist truth and they got the Methodist truth, if we've got Baptist doctrine or Methodist doctrine, we need to throw it out the window and replace it with the Bible. Period. Because that, this is the final authority. I'm not going to stand on the Baptist faith and message in all eternity. I'm going to stand on God's word and God's word alone. 
Period. Now, let's keep going. I've got that one for free. Um, <laughs> stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Why do we, like, this, this righteousness that, 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 that is in Christ, why do we put, like, what, in, in a battle, what's the purpose of a breastplate? To deflect darts, to deflect the blows of the enemy. We put these, this, this, this plate of righteousness over us so we can protect her, be protected from the, the, the shots of the enemy. And as the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We put on the gospel of, of, of Jesus, the gospel of peace. What's the purpose of having shoes? Anybody ran across a rocky terrain without shoes on? Like, I know when little kids, I know when small, like, I guarantee Colin probably doesn't have shoes on most of the time, and he can run all, because he's probably got calluses that are harder than this pulpit, right? But most of us, if we don't, if we run out through the parking lot on a hot summer's day without shoes on, what are we doing? We're doing that dance. <laughs> right? We're doing that dance. Why? Because our feet aren't protected. The gospel protects us as we, as we travel, as we go forward into this battle. The gospel is what protects us. The gospel is what gives us the readiness to be able to move forward. In all circumstances, what are we supposed to do? Take up the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith. Why do we have a shield? What's the purpose of faith? Well, let's read in Hebrews. I'm glad you asked. You guys always have great questions. Love it. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And he just go and he gives this reference. For by it the people of old received their commendations. By faith we understand that the universe was created. And you go down into verse six, and he gives us or verse four, and he gives examples of by faith Abel offered God. By faith this, by faith this person, by faith Abraham, by faith Enoch. And we go through this, and then you look down in verse six, and without faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, number one, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So you take up that shield of faith. What is that faith? The, the, belief, the, the belief that God exists and that he rewards us. The diligently seek him. So we take that shield of faith. God, I know you're here. I know you're present. I know you're with me. I know you've, you're in the fight with me. You're in the midst of this with me. You're with me in this. And so we hold that shield of faith and we move forward and we press and we advance against the, the schemes of the devil. Man. Why do, and so it tells us why we hold the shield of faith. We extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. And then we take the helmet of salvation... Like, what's the purpose of a helmet? Protect your what? Like, if I'm playing, I mean, if I'm playing a game that requires where I'm going to crash into somebody, if I'm out, if I'm, any construction site, you got to wear a what? Hard hat. hat. You got to wear a hard hat. Why? Because there may be something that cracks into your, now, is it, I get you people say, well, Caleb, a hard hat's not going to protect you against everything. I, I get it. Go with the point here. There's an illustration. God's helmet's a lot safer than, than, our, than OSHA's helmets. Just saying. 
He, he gets, says, put this helmet on, the helmet of salvation, the, the, the assurance that God is your protection, the assurance that God is your sovereign king. He's the God of the universe. Put that helmet of salvation on your head. And then what? You pick up the sword of the spirit. Now, what's the sword? This, the Bible tells us what the sword is. This is it. This is your sword. This is the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And what do you use a sword for? Caleb, a cool decoration in my house. No, in this day, what were swords used for? Fighting. Like you advanced and you, you, def- you used your shield and your sword to defend and to advance and make war. We're called to make war on our sins. We're called to make war against the enemy. We're called to say, okay, no, no, we advance and we fight and we make war on the enemy. Period. Because he's making war on us. So we take up the sword of the Spirit in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayers and supplications to the end to keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all of the saints. Like the end of this is we pray for one another. Like Andy, I love Andy. Like we, this is the, we need to pray for one another. Like, this is the time when we as believers, yeah, circle the wagons and and protect one another. Shield one another. Like, the enemy's trying to advance on us. It's like, Caleb, no, it's a political scheme. Oh my gosh, no, it's not. It it is a spiritual battle that we're in the midst of. You say, well, well, Caleb, it sounds like what you want me to do is you just want me to behave. You want me to have good behavior, don't you? Just be a good, like, as we're growing up, what what did your grandma, just be a good boy. Behave yourself. Right? So that's, we've heard that all the time. Just behave yourself. Don't act like an idiot. How many act like an idiot anyways? Okay. I did too. You say, Caleb, God just wants me to behave and just have good behavior, right? I'm going to say something and it's going to sound weird at first, but just go with me, okay? Jesus Christ is not after your behaviors. Jesus Christ is not after your your behaviors. What Jesus wants is your heart. Because when Jesus gets your heart, your behaviors will follow. If you're trying to reverse it and say, okay, I'm going to do good, I'm going to be good, I'm going to behave. All you're going to end up being is frustrated and you're going to be another statistic. That's not life transforming gospel. That is a behavior modification. I'm going to try hard. Trying hard never works when the things of Jesus. I'm going to try really hard this time. I'm not going to look at porn this week. I'm not going to cuss. I'm not going to do these things. And then what happens? You do. Why? Because you put your onus in, you stood in whose, whose faith? You, did you stand all, therefore in his might and his strength? No, I tried my, I, I tried hard. Stop trying hard and start trusting in what Jesus has already done. Jesus is after your heart. Because when he gets your heart, your behaviors will change as well. Once Jesus sets you free from sin, he will convict you of sin at a, at a, at later down the line. He'll convict you of your sins. Like case in point, I told, I've told you the story about my dad. My, my dad was, loved to drink. Like my dad was a drinker. Like the, he, could, he could probably out drink most of you in the room. After he got saved, he still went to the barn. God saved him and he still went to the bar. It was a junior high boy that God used to train. Because my dad's temper and my dad's temperament was if 
Somebody like Sam came up to my dad and poked him in the chest and said, listen, boy, you can't be drinking anymore. Dad probably would have decked Sam. That's just my dad's mentality. That's just like that was the guy. But a month after he got saved, the guy, the, the pastor said, listen, we have, we're out of, we don't have a, a junior high boy Sunday school teacher. We have got to have somebody to teach our Sunday school junior high boys. Can you do it, Ed? Sure, I, yeah, I, yeah, I'll do whatever you need me to do. And they got, after service one day, they were sitting at, walk, milling around front, doing the things that they do after service. And one of the junior high boys in my dad's Sunday school class came up and tugged on my dad's shirt and said, Mr. Gordon, Mr. Gordon, was that your Jeep outside the Swanee Lounge? And dad was like, oh, yeah. He goes, man, I want to be just like you when I grow up. And the Holy Spirit took that and was like, uh-oh, I'm not the bottom line of my life. I'm not the end, I'm not the end all be all to my life. Other people are seeing me, and the scripture says if you cause somebody to stumble, you're in trouble. So my dad immediately went home, came out, and took every ounce of liquor and alcohol, poured it down the sink, and, and from that point through, and hadn't touched it, hadn't touched alcohol since. Because he knew, well, yeah, I can hold my liquor, but maybe that little junior high boy can't, and I'm the reason that he moved into this world of debauchery and sin. How about you have that on your conscience? Like, we're being watched. So I'm not being... No, no, no. Grandparents, uncles, aunts, moms, dads. There's younger people that are around. They're watching you. They're seeing how you... They're seeing, what you, they're seeing you say, I love Jesus. And then lose your mind. They're seeing you love Christ. Oh, I love Jesus. But you're living in sin. The Holy Spirit will call you on your sin. If, you're, if you truly are a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit will call you on your sin. And that's where repentance comes into play. First John 1, 9, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess, he's faithful and just to forgive. Like, that's easy. Like, that's, like, all you have, confession. And that's one of the, like, we, I know it sounds easy for me to say it here. But man, confessing and admitting, and admitting you're wrong is one of the diff, most difficult things that we can ever do. Especially men. Can I get an amen, guys? Oh, yeah. Go ahead and leave me out here by myself. Thanks. But, man, yeah, we're, we're called to repent. Now, we say, well, Caleb, you just said Jesus doesn't care about my behavior. I can do what I want. That's not what I said. If there is no remorse over sin and you have no conviction over blatantly sinful li- a lifestyle or in things that are sinful, let's just, I'm going to use some big ones. Unforgiveness. Bitterness, hatred, meanness. Those are the ones that we don't want to talk about. Like if I talked about pornography and adultery, everybody would be like, yeah, preach it, Caleb. But I say bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred and meanness towards your fellow man, those are the ones that most of us in the room are guilty of. Like there's nobody, I don't think there's a lot of people in here who be like, well, I'm going to commit adultery on my wife. I'm, like we're not doing that one. Most, most maybe some, but mo- most of us are living in the world of unforgiveness Bitterness, anger towards people that we've been angry for for years, and we have no, like, there's no remorse over being angry for years over something that, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't matter. Well, see, Caleb, you don't know what they did to me. Well, I know what Jesus did, or what we did to Jesus was far worse than he forgave us. And so, because we've been forgiven of much, Jesus demands that we forgive much. 
So if you can live in blatantly unrepented of sins, you're not convicted of your sins, there's a good chance. Now listen, if you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. There's a good chance that you're probably not saved. And I don't say that with pride, like, yeah, you're not saved. I say that with like a brokenheartedness, like a genuine concern for your soul. A genuine concern for your heart because I want to see men and women set free by the power of the gospel. And you talk to anybody that has found forgiveness, went and sought forgiveness from someone else, man, there's an element of freedom and they're no longer shackled in. Because here's the thing, when you're living in unforgiveness and bitterness, you're the one that's shackled up in chains. You're the one that's put in a bitter cell. You're the one, by your own doing, you're set in, in that shackle. Christ sets you free from that. Christ sets you free. So how do, how do we, what do we do? We need to repent of our sins. Place our hope and our trust in what Christ did on the cross for us. Genuine salvation is when a heart is changed. And it's changed, changed and transformed when Jesus comes in and breathes life into a rock hard, dead, cold heart and it becomes a heart of beating flesh again. And that's only accomplished when God's word is used by the power of the Holy Spirit to awaken a man, boy, or girl that they are in need of him. And let me tell you, we just sang it. Lord, I need you. And like, I don't think we understand that we need him more than we are saying. We, like, oh Lord, Lord, I need you. Yeah, no, I really need him. Like, I need him even, like, oh, Caleb, you're saved, you're good. No, I need him now, present tense. I need Jesus to be able to take my next step. The gospel matters even after you're saved. The gospel is what I stand in. The gospel is what I have my confidence in. Jesus and what he did on the cross matters. Everybody wants to talk about what matters right now. That's a big thing. Jesus is what matters. And what he did on the cross is the ultimate thing that matters because that brings reconciliation, that brings redemption, that brings forgiveness, that brings a justification with the God of the universe. Like you're justified by the, to the God of the universe. Like I need you to understand something. All of us in the room are treasonous creatures. But Jesus loved us enough to set the treason and give us grace rather than justice. And I think it's hilarious. Everybody's like, oh, justice. We need justice. Everybody wants justice. But if we talked about your sin, you want mercy. But if we talk about somebody else's sin, we want, they need justice. I think that's always funny to me. That we want mercy, but somebody else deserves justice. My sin is just as bad as your sin. And all of it deserves the wrath of God. But Christ comes into the equation and he says, yeah, I know you deserve the wrath of God, but I've provided a way out. Here's mercy. Here's grace. Here's forgiveness. It's a free gift. I paid the bill. Jesus did all the heavy lifting. All of that's done. What are we, all that's left in your camp is just to find him to be sufficient. What's that old? Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Right? Like that's the beauty of the gospel. 
That's the glory of who our God is, that He's provided us a way, a path of salvation. And He tells us, and Paul tells us in Colossians, don't fall for the tricks, don't fall for the craziness, don't fall for this. If you've been raised with Christ and you've died to the elemental spirits of the world, why are you still trying to find a path? Why are you still trying to say, I'm alive to the world? And why do you try to submit to their regulations? Stop trying to submit to the regulations of a sinful and fallen world and just rest in who Christ is and what He's done. If you die with Christ, you're, you're secure in Him. You're, you're secure in Him. Period. Wow. Well, I just know this. That Jesus is all that matters. And at the end of this, in 10,000 years, a political party won't matter. Your allegiance to a political party won't matter. Your allegiance to Christ and Christ alone will matter. And, and Matthew says, if you want to follow me, Jesus said in Matthew, if you, if you want to follow me, you, what? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and join the Republican Party, Right? Oh, no, that's not what the text says, is it? That's right. It says, deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. Like, that's what Jesus called us to do. To deny ourselves, to deny what we want, to die to those things, and then say, Christ, I'll follow you no matter what. I'll follow you and love whoever you want me to love. I'll say whatever I need to say. I'll go wherever I want to go. My rights don't matter anymore, Father. It's what you want. What do you want from me? I want you to take up your cross and follow me. Deal. Now, is that going to cost you? Probably. Talk to our brothers and sisters in Iran. It'll cost you. He said, well, we're in America. It will never cost us. Just wait. Just hang tight. It'll cost you. If you believe this book, the scripture tells us, Jesus said, they hated me, so they're not going to like you either. Now, that doesn't give you the right to go out and be an idiot. Don't go poke the bear. The gospels, Andy and I were just talking about this. The gospel can stand on its own. It's got an offense on its own. Don't go out and agitate the bear more. Don't, just, that's not necessary. It's not necessary to go agitate the bear some more. Like, seriously, let Jesus do the work. You just be, a, just be faithful to follow him. Be faithful to follow Christ. And he will do what is necessary. He's the one who saves. Caleb Gordon's not the one who saves. It's Jesus who saves and redeems. Put your hope, put your trust, put your faith in him. You've been listening to a sermon audio resource from the ministries at First Baptist Church in Cedarvale, Kansas. We pray that this encourages you and challenges you on your walk this week with Christ. To find out more about what's going on at First Baptist Church in Cedarvale, you can go to our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. Thank you and God bless.